0: Welcome back to 96 Greer, the podcast where we watch every feature film with Judy Greer in the cast. My name is Reg Lynn.
1: I'm Patrick Rapall.
0: In today's episode, we bring you What Planet Are You From? A uh, 2000 sci-fi sex comedy featuring Judy Greer, um, Mm -hmm. directed by Mike Nichols and starring Gary Shandling. So uh, to start out, Patrick, what were
1: your expectations going into this movie? Have you heard of it? Yeah, this is a notorious bomb. This is, so I had seen bits and pieces of this. Um, there was an era of Comedy Central movies that have a very specific type, and this falls into it. When I had Comedy Central and I was watching Comedy Central, it's like mid-aughts around, you know, at that time, 2004, 2006 or whatever. There's a certain kind of movie they would always show. And one thing it had to have is a bunch of famous people in it. And then the other thing it had to be was not particularly funny. And and because if it wasn't particularly funny, that means it's not expensive to license. So they would license almost exclusively box office bombs. At, that had a lot of famous people in them. And every once in a while, you'd get a movie like Being John Malkovich playing on Comedy Central. Right. And it's like, all right, this is not a big box office movie, but it's got a lot of movie stars. People are going to stop flipping channels when they see, you know, John Cusack or whoever. And it's great. It's it's
0: one of a kind. And it
1: turns out to be great, but more likely you're going to get a What Planet Are You From?
0: The, is it the kind of movie where um, raunchiness kind of takes the place of actual humor?
1: Yes. The, yeah. Oh, Road to Wellville was another uh, one that I always think of in this way, with Matthew Broderick at uh, Kellogg's Little Sex Institute.
0: Yeah, I, I tried to watch that one. It didn't really hold my interest, even though I, I love any movie where people are wearing
1: corsets. Yeah, it's, and ton of famous people in that that's movie. That's true, that's true. Um, but yeah, so I had seen it, I had very low expectations, and my expectations were met.
0: Fair enough. I had similar expectations as you did. um, This was a movie I hadn't seen before, but I do have vague recollections of it being a film because it did come out when I was in high school. Um, This was one of those movies where I was a teenager and I was interested in movies, but it was 2000 and we didn't have the access that we do today. So I would read... Um, the movie review column in the newspaper every Friday, and is this the
1: New York Times?
0: No, this was our this was our regional. Oh, our nice! Regional oh, region. I love it!
1: I love it! <laughs> yeah. Your upstate New York,
0: yeah, rural, yeah, yeah this farm wasn't... and film
1: report. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, they, they yeah they read it on a, on a cow system. No, that's not, that's not true. That's not true. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess I guess it was a, a local writer um, for that particular newspaper. It certainly wasn't wasn't Roger Ebert sure, or sure. anyone. So so around this time, I would say like you know ninety seven to two thousand one, um, there were a lot of rated R movies that came out where I didn't see them because I wasn't old enough to see them in the movies, and my parents certainly wouldn't rent them for me, but. They just sort of had this like mystique and allure oh, like, yes. of like, oh, it's a sex comedy. Yes. Like, how how debonair. Right,
1: sex comedies before you have sex are a totally different vibe. Yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. when you are young and you're just like, I don't even know what that is. So I'm assuming that the people who made this movie know what. They're talking
0: about yeah, yeah, and especially when it's when it's something that you don't have access to. Well, it must be fantastic. This must be the the, the funniest movie. I think I was also a budding feminist at the time, and it, and reading, um, you know, just that it's like oh, it's like an alien who comes to Earth to have sex with human women. Just there was something in my in my brain that was sort of like I don't know about all this, uh, and it turns out that that expectation was also correct. Very good. <laughs> So when I made the decision about what movies we would watch in, in which order, uh, my thought was to keep it keep the variety because you know Judy Greer has a very long career. She's been in um, lots of different genres. Lots, you know, she's a a pretty versatile actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thought was make sure that the that you know we're we're moving around from different years, different genres. Um, and I was a little worried that, like, oh, these are both kind of, you know, you know, uh, we're following a quirky comedy up with a quirky comedy. Um, but very, um, very different time periods. You know, we're going from a 20... From, from Potters the first episode, Pottersville. Pottersville yeah. being a 2017 movie, um, back, all the way back to 2000, one of Judy Greer's earlier movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also quite a difference in terms of um, the creative team behind the movie, where with Pottersville you have someone who is a, um, a debut feature film director a debut feature film screenwriter and uh, for what planet are you from uh, we get Mike Nichols as the director yeah <laughs> a, 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 a storied and Hollywood figure of stage and screen um, director of the graduates working girl um, long career this is towards the end of uh, of his his directing career his his uh, third to last movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I know that on Director's Club, uh, actually, when we first met, um, mm-hmm. you were covering Mike Nichols.
1: Yes, yeah. I did an episode on Mike Nichols about 10 years ago. Right. Do you have
0: a favorite Mike Nichols movie?
1: Yeah, I really like his early stuff. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of The Graduate. There's a lot of cool stuff about it, but it's like kind of a movie of its time and a lot of it doesn't age as well. I agree. Um, But I love Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and then I really love, uh, especially Catch-22 and Carnal Knowledge, which were the two movies he made after um, The Graduate. And those are just like two of the best movies of that that 70s Hollywood era, considered new Hollywood that The Graduate kind of sparked off. Like, I consider those two movies two of the best that that era had to offer.
0: I haven't seen Carnal Knowledge, but um, I remember watching Catch-22 and it does have... Sort of the same thing as what planet are you from? Going on with casting, where you have um a lot of well-known actors who are playing very like quirky characters, and it's sort of like running the gamut of like the kind of pieces of work that you find in in the mm-hmm. mo- in each movie. Well, and
1: carnal knowledge, I would say, is an even closer fit to what planet are you from because it is an extremely acerbic, like almost too black to be thought of as a comedy. It is just like so nasty. Um, sort of take on the battle of the sexes and men and women and like the impossibility of them finding you know f- uh, recourse and and like what the sort of predatory nature of men eventually does to them like once so it's a it's like a it, one one section of the movie takes place when the all the leads it's Jack Nicholson and Art Garfunkel you know the two the two classic oh yeah uh, actors classic that you think duo. Of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nich- Nicholson and Garfunkel. Um, and then and when they're in college, and then you see them like 20 years later after they're they've been married and they are just like these miserable, horrible people. Um, who are just entirely driven by just like oh my god I need to yeah, I need to have an affair or whatever and like their relationship is actually quite similar to Kinnear and Shandling, uh, Greg Kinnear and Gary Shandling oh, in this movie, okay. mm-hmm. um, all the way down to Gary Shandling having the curly hair and <laughs> and Jack Nicholson <laughs> being the Greg Kinnear more you know uh, nasty one, but. So they, yeah, I didn't I didn't even make that connection with Catch Twenty Two, but it turns out both of my favorite Mike Nichols movies have share some DNA with this movie, which mm-hmm. is probably my least favorite Mike Nichols movie.
0: That's fair. Um, I would say for me, um, Mike Nichols actually directed two of my favorite movies. Um, one, admittedly, a problematic fave, The Birdcage. Oh yes. Um, and the other, uh, Postcards from the Edge, uh, which is um, not one of his better known movies but it was the same thing like you were saying with with the comedy central where this was just on basic cable all the time when i was a kid um and it's based on carrie fisher's memoirs and her relationship with her mother debbie reynolds so it is meryl streep playing the carrie fisher character and um uh shirley MacLaine, one of my favorites uh playing the the debbie reynolds uh character very different movies from what planet are you from um postcards is pretty much entirely about uh, a relationship between a mother and a daughter. You know uh, substance abuse, uh, abuse issues do come up in this movie as well as what planet are you from? So that might be like like the one uh, connection but you know it's it's not at all about like ah men and women, what's
1: the deal with that? you know and you know? also those are very warm movies. those are very yes. like human full of heart. Um, even when, even when they get a little body, like in the case of the birdcage mm-hmm. and they, and you know, they have the characters at odds with each other at the end of the day, it's all about like, and then everything is works out a, and we really love all these people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that That's true. They, they are, they are much warmer. Um, I guess also different screenwriting teams, which of sure. course, of course is a, is a huge difference. Um, what planet are you from being written by Gary Shandling and, uh, Actually, I had four screenwriters. Yes, um,
1: he was he was one of the co-creators of the story, mm-hmm. and there were three other screenwriters, and I think at least two of them wrote on Gary Shandling projects yeah. in the past, or worked worked with him in seventies television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back when he was, I forget what I think he wrote for like Sanford and Son or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, so, like, they they all seem to be coming from the same place, and it seems like a, an idea he had that he got his friends on board to help him with.
0: Yeah, um, The Birdcage was written by Mike Nichols and also Elaine May, his, his longtime collaborator. Um, and I'm not sure who wrote the screenplay for Postcards off the top of my head, but it is based on Carrie Fisher's memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and just knowing that she um, had a career of punching up scripts. She might've had a hand in, in the script herself. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, coming it in, coming into this movie, kind of having those two be like Mike Nichols movies that I really love. This was, uh, <laughs> quite a different, uh, cinematic experience. Yeah. So if you want to catch up with us, you can watch this on the Roku app. Um, if you don't have access to the movie and want to save yourself a hundred minutes, um, Here is a quick summary of the plot. An alien planet of men, who are only able to reproduce by cloning, decides to conquer Earth by having babies with Earthlings. Harold is chosen for the first mission. He's endowed with a penis that hums when erect and teleports into the restroom of a commercial airplane in flight. He tries to seduce a flight attendant named Rebecca, played by Judy Greer, Mm. but she won't have any of it. The plane lands in Phoenix, Arizona where it is intercepted by Agent Jones, an FAA agent who is investigating the mishap during the flight and over the course of the movie grows to suspect alien activity. Harold has a job as a loan officer set up for him. He is welcomed at the bank by his chauvinist co-worker Perry. Perry takes Harold to an AA meeting to meet women, where he meets Susan. Rebecca the flight attendant is at the AA meeting. Harold and Rebecca have sex, she's awkward and uninterested and kicks him out. Susan shows up at the bank the next day looking for Perry as he hit her car at the AA meeting, and Harold asks her out. Over dinner, they talk about both wanting children. Susan takes Harold home, he tries to seduce her, but she says part of getting sober means she isn't having sex until she's married. Harold consults with his supervisor, Graydon, who advises him to marry Susan. They get married in Vegas and have a ton of sex. Harold gets impatient when Susan doesn't get pregnant right away, and she starts to suspect he only wants to be with her to have a child. Susan eventually gets pregnant and has a normal-sized baby after a three-month pregnancy. Graydon shows up at the hospital to collect Harold and the baby. Back on his home planet, Harold realizes that the civilization's lack of conflict and emotion leads to their lack of self-knowledge. He takes the baby and escapes back to Earth. He gives the baby back to Susan and tells her that he's an alien and leaves because he doesn't know how to love her. Graydon has followed Harold back to Earth and tries to force him back to their planet, but Agent Jones shoots and kills him. Susan takes Harold back. The end.
1: Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. I guess I the, guess so. The, the sex comedy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For anyone who doesn't remember or, or was not... I guess that is a dated reference at yeah. this point. Um, I, I guess that must have been like mid-90s. The mm-hmm. self-help book came out called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which became a, a, a trope and a cliche very quickly.
1: Um, and like all gender essentialist texts, I'm sure has aged really well.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was written as a relationship self-help help guide. So with the intention of... Helping men and women in relationships better communicate with each other, better understand each other. But I mean, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it's it's you know very straight, very gender essentialist, um, you know, uh, and and that does seem to to be what this
1: what this movie is. Right, it's, right from the start, we have like, well, they're all men, so of course they're very like logical and like yes. driven by ambition, and and all of their emotions are gone because they're only men. And men don't have emotions. It's, yeah, <laughs> they don't have women around to teach them how to have emotions.
0: Yeah, exactly. A yeah, complete lack of of sentimentality, um, it, and also the 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 home planet itself. It's very uh, very dystopian, mm-hmm. very um, very 1984 mm-hmm. sort of sort of aesthetic, where everyone's dressed in these in the same gray garb and um there's no there's no sort of, of decorations everywhere and because um, and
1: because it is calling back sort of a uh old-school 50s kind of I- sci-fi ideal in a way that's happening a lot in the 90s the way uh men in black or Mars attacks and all these different movies were doing these sort of retro futurist uh alien things to, I could say specifically like it's it's less uh they are supposed to be like Soviets and they're more like Nazi Germany is the vibe of the, all of the decor and the, yeah. um, and everything is that it's, it's sort of like space Nazis, which Mike, Mike Nichols, his parents escaped, uh, Germany, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, he's of Jewish heritage and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Gary Shanley's Jewish as well. So certainly doesn't surprise me that that would be the uh, touchstone there for this, uh, for this scary uh, race of aliens.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Um, and, and like you, like you brought up men in black, I think that's, that was also a very, um. Typical sci-fi aesthetic of the time. Um, you know, Men in Black also the same thing, where it's like like a lot of like bright white walls and chrome and mm-hmm. sleek black things, and um, you know, so so it is very much that that late 90s sci-fi um, aesthetic. But but yeah, it starts out automatically with it didn't even make sense to me. The 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 goal of they want to conquer Earth and they're going to conquer Earth. By
1: producing a child,
0: producing a child. Yeah, I mean this may be the the pilot program. That's what it seems to be. So I I do think Um, I
1: think as a whole, you can look at this movie and say that this was not well thought out. There's a lot of decisions that mm -hmm. I think maybe more experienced screenwriters of films, or maybe just like if if it had more passes or whatever, like they could have figured out a lot of the ways, but. It's a movie that is, just feels so fundamentally unappealing that you look at it and you're like, "I'm shocked that anyone thought this was going to work." Um, and one of those that one of the ways this feels underbaked is that the plan makes no sense no. and it, it, it makes no attempt to justify, um, which is like, "Okay, so we don't have stakes for Gary Shandling's character um, because we don't quite understand how him doing anything matters." And also what he's doing, it seems terrible, so we don't want him to succeed. Right. Um, but uh, he's not really an antagonist because we don't really have, like, Annette Benning doesn't show up until, it's a long movie too.
0: It, it is quite long, yes.
1: Uh, and Annette Bening is, uh, shows up as this, like, as you mentioned in the plot summary, this, this woman in AA who's trying to get her life restarted. Um, and then when the way she reacts to everyone around her, she is just so... It's I think I think one of the big mistakes this movie makes is casting it at Benning because she is so natural and so real and mm-hmm. so likable that when you put her in this situation, she finds the actual human being in there. And yeah. you're like, oh, this is like a hopelessly damaged person who's being taken advantage of. And it becomes like a nightmare. Like every interaction she has with Gary Shandling, he's like this like guy who's taking advantage of this like mentally unstable woman who needs like years and years of therapy before she should start dating anyone let alone marrying someone and having their
0: kids i i feel like the character of susan could have been written a lot worse yeah but i agree with you where where they do give her depth and humanity it does make it more upsetting when she's basically in this rosemary's baby situation And it's supposed to be funny.
1: And then when they get and then after they do get married, and he is just instantly loses interest in her because he's just like, You need to get pregnant, you need to get pregnant. And there's like a moment where she's really upset that she feels like maybe she can't have a baby and she can't give him what she wants. And he's just staring at her, like totally lost, as to how he's supposed to react to any of this. And and she like has to coach him how to comfort her. It's right. it's like horrifying. And it's I don't know if it's supposed to be playing for laughs or this is supposed to be for pathos, but there's a thing where, like, when the movie starts, he is just like this stereotypical sort of parody of a Lothario where he's hitting on everything that moves and mm-hmm. he's just got all these uh pickup lines. lines. He
0: has nice shoes, wanna fuck. I mean, that's basically what he's trained to do right. on the on his home planet. So you you do have that as as some background where it's like, okay, well, he's only talked to other men, so that's why he's gonna be a cat and that's why he's gonna say these horrible things to women. At the same time, the it really seems like like the the movie wants to have its cake and eat it too, where okay, he he's just ooh small being alien. He doesn't know how to talk to women, but then he also just has these like gary shandling comedian lines where he just shows up and like he's been on earth for five yeah. seconds and he's already got his sleazoid lines down it, it just it, it doesn't make any any sense where he he is slick and charming when he needs to be slick and charming and he is confused lost um uh, man who fell to earth when he needs to be that and yeah. there's there's no consistency which makes him even less likable right
1: well that's yeah that's that's a key problem and there is a there is a you can see here how it could work, because there is a line, a very easy line to draw between, like we're both big fans of the show, the Larry Sanders show, yeah. um, which is a show Gary Shandling had in the mid to late '90s, where he played a fictional talk show host, right? Um, and he was just this sort of like bottomless hole of need yes. and and self-regard, yeah. And he has this he has this way of saying things, saying what he actually means, but then framing it as a joke or like he says something and you don't know how sincere he is. He says a joke and you think he's joking, but then he gives you a look like he's not joking. And then people have to reconfigure how they're going to respond because he's the boss. And it's like, it's a very funny comedic persona. And the idea of this guy who just walks up to women and says exactly what he wants, but then gives that little Gary Shandling smile as if like, that's the joke is that he is saying, Hey, want to fuck in that charming? Like there's a, there's a line there where you can be like, okay. This is a Larry Sanders sort of a thing. I understand how you thought this works, but then like at a certain point he's supposed to like grow a soul and and like become more human. And yeah. and and like you're at oh well over an hour into the movie and it just seems like Annette Benning is in an emotionally abusive relationship. And, yeah. like, you just have to watch these long scenes. Because, again, the pacing of this movie is an issue. You have to watch these really long scenes where she, as a really good actor, giving this character a real humanity, right. is, like, having a breakdown and has to deal with this, like, emotionally abusive guy. And it's, like, this is so hard to come back from. And Gary Shanling is not the kind of actor who can do it.
0: No, certainly doesn't have the experience for that. I mean, he, he's there for the comedic moments. I mean, like you said, you know, we both really love Larry Sanders' show. Mm-hmm. And I feel... Fine on that show when he is flirting with a woman you're not always on board with what he's doing, but he's very charming, and yeah. you can see yeah. like like why why he does get
1: dates and why right. he's able. To and Gary date with Gary him. Shandling himself was a like lifelong. I don't know if he's lifelong bachelor, but he he was single for most of his life. He yeah. had a reputation like he dated Sharon Stone at some point. Like right. like he is a guy who that's who he is in real life. Like you don't look at him and be like that's a really handsome man, but like no. he has a self confidence and a charm and a, and a sense of humor that is attractive. Right, exactly. I have to say
0: something that that also made it difficult for me to, to connect with this movie besides the, the the problematic relationship that's at the core of the movie is that even though I, I really like the Larry Sanders show and I I like his sense of humor and I was going into this kind of looking forward to his sense of humor, I don't find Gary Chandling attractive at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of person where... If I see someone in a movie and they're talented and they're charismatic, even if they don't meet sort of the, the mainstream attractiveness quota, mm-hmm. I still find myself attracted to them. I've never felt that way about Gary Shandling. I always, um, you know, I, I really get disgusted when there's a sex scene and it's someone who an audience member is not attracted to and the, rea- and the reaction is, why do I have to watch this? But that's how I feel... <laughs> Every single time um, I see a sex scene with Gary Shandling in it, and there's enough of them in this movie. Um, also, a lot of the jokes stem from the fact that Harold the alien has a, an, a penis that has been attached to him for this mission, and the penis makes a humming noise. It vibrates, when it, basically. Yeah, basically. And it, and,
1: it, and, it, and it gains intensity as he gets more aroused. Yeah,
0: so there's always this sound effect when he's aroused and sometimes that's used for actual jokes but mostly i just found it very uncomfortable i just i didn't want to know the status of this character's genitals
1: i think that yeah. i personally i think that still could be very funny that the fact that he is like that you're not into like seeing him have the sexy it's just that um the movie doesn't commit to a tone If the movie was just like all madcap Jerry Lewis, like Nutty Professor kind of ridiculousness, where like the joke of the Nutty Professor is Jerry Lewis going, you know, playing Buddy Love, the smoothest, you know, sex god ever, like, and everyone in the audience, like, that's Jerry Lewis. That's hysterical that Jerry Lewis is like that. Um, like that, that could work, but, uh, there's like a few moments in this movie where it gets like very silly and broad. Like when Linda Florentino walks into the bank, it's like Jane Mansfield and the girl can't help it where everyone's like collapsing and falling down. Right. And everything. right. Um, and then there's some moments where it's like, oh no, no, this is like a character study and you have real moment. Like, um, we have a scene where Innette Benning is telling all of her friends about this guy she's dating and she has the greatest roster of friends. Uh, she has. <laughs> yeah. Cameron Manheim with the greatest haircut I've ever oh, seen with all, she has like <laughs> Just it's so 2000. It is yeah. so. She's like
0: funky art gallery she's, friend. F- I want to so know what's going on with her. So
1: want to know what's going on with Karen <laughs> Mannheim and her like electric blue scarf and yeah. chest tattoo and 17 little chopsticks in her hair. Yeah. Um. But but like that scene is like this is a normal romantic comedy where we're talking straight about what it's like to yeah. be in the dating life.
0: Yeah. I guess I guess it's supposed to be the the sort of flip side of Gary Shandling and his his 1984. You know. Min- ministry of undating classroom yeah. where he's like learning how to seduce women with the other aliens and like she's sitting around with her gal pals talking about dating guys and it's like oh they're both in their own like gender enclaves and not talking to each yeah. other
1: but know? but the problem is that then you have judy greer yes. in this movie who really just feels like a ditzy blonde like she's just sort of a dumb babe in this movie
0: you know i have to say When I saw that she was in this movie, my initial thought was, oh, she's going to be in a scene. She's going to be a drunk chick at a bar. (laughs) Um, She's going to be completely desperate for his attention. I'm not saying it was a lot better than that, but it was better
1: She was a sober chick.
0: Yes, she she was a sober sober chick. Because he
1: meets her again at the... She's the flight attendant, but then he uh, meets her again at the the AA.
0: She's on the job. She is super professional. Mm -hmm. He tries to pick her up twice on the airplane. She slaps him and then goes back to greeting passengers.
1: She slaps him, but then what does she do the next time she sees him? Well,
0: okay, yeah. Okay, so then the next time she shows up, which was completely unexpected, um, she's at the same AA meeting that he meets susan at and she's suddenly very interested in him this this creep who was on her plane and said something so offensive said to like her. seven
1: things so yeah. offensive to her
0: yeah because she she's the first human him.
1: being that he really lays all the pickup lines into yes she's so the first
0: she's, one followed by janine garofalo and
1: that's the yeah, like other janine garofalo all character also feels like she comes from a much broader comedy. yeah um but, like, she has no reason to act the way she does when she sees him at AA later. Right. And it does make, and then, like, later you learn that she's having an affair with this other pilot. And she right. makes a comment, like, I feel so bad for his wife because he, he's cheating on her. Yeah. And it's like, and then he's like, aren't you, isn't he cheating on her with you? And then she gets all offended and stuff. And it's, yeah, it's I think it's her not. character is supposed to be just, like, she's just kind of dumb and flighty. And, you know, her, she, her mind goes all over the place.
0: That, yeah, that that's true. Although there is something because it is Judy Greer, and she does have that that quality that quality to her. Um, she's not quite a bimbo. She's not no. quite your typical airhead. She she has that sort of um, that quality that she also brings to like to like Kitty on Arrested Development, sure. where it's like, okay, she is in her own sense of reality, and she has some she, she's made some pretty wild choices, but it's not like. Oh, she's just this like, you know, dumb gal with a baby voice who's there to be sexy. That's that true. I
1: did I called her I called her a, a dumb babe and, and obviously she's you know, she's Judy Grid, she's very attractive or whatever, but like she isn't like she isn't depicted as like this sex pot. That's Linda Florentino's job right. later, To yeah. be the dumb babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Linda Florentino also has no reason to act the way she does.
0: No, yeah, that, yeah, that's another strange thing where, um, where she, she's married to Greg Kinnear's character. She's coming right off
1: of the last seduction, where which was like a basic instinct sort of movie, mm-hmm. where she was absolutely incredible as this like uh, uh, femme fatale type. Um, she and brings that it,
0: energy to this role. There's world a scene like,
1: that's like it's a reference to that in this, um, but but she again like there's a scene where Annette Benning comes in like you said to to talk to Greg Kinnear and then it's revealed to his wife who's the, who's also happens to be there that he was at an AA meeting to pick up chicks and then it's and and then he's like no no I wasn't there to do that I was there to because I have a drinking problem and she's like oh really like she just instantly falls for it mm-hmm. and it's all this stuff that's like this is all like shtick that could work. If it was in a much broader comedy on the whole thing, it was like kind of silly and yeah. zany. Yeah. But like the whole last third of this movie is completely uninterested, except for except for the death of Ben Kingsley. <laughs> so
0: so this movie goes completely off the rails yes. in the third act. Yes. This was the point where it felt like. I was kind of wondering if they actually had ways to tie the story together but there was some budgetary constraints because this is where things get a little more sci-fi um like you know uh they bring harold back to the home planet and then he starts criticizing the government so they're going to erase his memories but then he escapes and there's no escape scene you just see the these like metallic doors slide open and he just like pushes a guard out of his way and like grabs this helmet off his head and runs down a hallway and you're like okay I guess that was the daring escape sequence
1: so I I think we can say Gary Shanling has a documentary that Judd Apatow made about him on HBO Max and there's about a six minute segment of that documentary about the making of this movie and we both watched that, and we learned that Mike Nichols and Gary Shandling really did not get along. Right. Um. You get you get a very clear idea that Mike Nichols realized early on that he sort of signed on to a doomed project. Right. Um. And that he just wanted it to be done and over with, and he didn't. And he didn't really have faith in it mm. or in Gary Shandling.
0: And was probably at this point in he, in his career also used to working with actors who were more seasoned more experienced yeah. more versatile I think mean,
1: he started with Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor and exactly. who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Exactly. there was never a point in his time, e- career where he wasn't working with the best most professional cast and crew Even
0: in this movie you have Annette Bening I mean the year before she was in American Beauty you mm-hmm. have another fantastic JG you have John Goodman Absolutely. in a supporting role you have Ben Kingsley Greg, you know Greg Kinnear you have you have a really solid cast um and at this point in his career Gary Shandling was moving into acting not not playing himself, not doing the stand-up comedian thing and and trying to become a more serious actor. Mm -hmm. So he was in over his head.
1: So I can totally see there being scripted a little fight scene and Mike Nichols looks at it and goes, I'm never going to get Gary (laughs) Shanling to perform the fight choreography correctly. (laughs) We are going to cut that scene.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But then then there's also, I mean, mean, just in, in that part of the movie... There's Ben Kingsley showing up at the hospital when Annette Bening has given birth where it's previously established in the movie that if Gary Shandling wants to talk to Ben Kingsley, his superior, he has to go on this one specific commercial flight out of the Phoenix airport and go into the airplane bathroom Mm -hmm. and that is where they meet. Yeah. So why is, why is Ben Kingsley just showing up at the hospital and then they get back to the home planet and it's like, oh, and also the baby was kidnapped. You don't see this. I, I, think, I think
1: the baby had to be placed in its shaft of light
0: yeah yeah I, I, I don't I mean was there even a moment where that happens there's there's a conversation that the Octavia hospital staff Octavia Spencer sat. that's of why all I, people I, yes Octavia Spencer because again
1: up. this is Mike Nichols so like every great actor wants to be in this movie no matter how thankless right. the role like Jane Lynch is randomly yeah, the, oh straight. yeah like, that's right that's
0: right so
1: many uh,
0: Jane Lynch is in the movie basically so someone can say a homophobic slur about yes, her yes yes
1: Greg <laughs> Kinnear has a homophobic joke and then later he has a transphobic joke but he, yeah. he is the villain if there's a villain so the
0: that's true. That's true. But the the hospital staff tells Annette Benning, "Oh, your baby's been kidnapped," and then the baby just yeah, you
1: don't see that either. And then
0: the baby's just on the planet, and you're like, I.
1: I, I... And then also, it's like, was that not the plan? Did they change the plan? Because because Gary Shandling seems like confused and like offended and and like they betrayed. Never,
0: they never explain it because you're you're right. They do say at the beginning of the movie, they say your job is to go to Earth to get a woman. pregnant. They select
1: one candidate one... Yes. to go down, and then later yes. he's training future candidates.
0: Yes, so I, I guess he's the vanguard, he's the pilot program, and then he comes back, and I I guess that's it, it's not and
1: then once, well explained. Once they have um, the hybrid human-alien babies, what, are the, what does that do for them in terms of kicking over the Earth?
0: There was a... a scene that I found distasteful where John Goodman is the FAA agent Oh, God, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. who's investigating, you know, this strange occurrence, you know, this plane that that had some turbulence and there were strange lights, and and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and, and he's just building evidence, and he, you know, all signs point to to Gary Shandling, and, and all signs point to alien life, but why would an alien be on a, on a flight to Phoenix? And he's listening to, I think it's an, uh, a Howard Stern interview, where he's interviewing a woman who's talking about how in the Middle East, the state of Israel is being threatened because Palestinians have too many babies and he's like oh my god aliens are trying to take over earth
1: by having babies yeah, and that's,
0: that's the that's the connection that that gets made it's pretty bad
1: and 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 we've already established in this movie that John Goodman is like on it like, it takes him a matter of, like, 36 hours to know that Gary Shandling is an alien with a vibrating penis. Like, he is, <laughs> he is such a good detective.
0: Yeah, there's um, he interrogates Judy Greer, who says, oh, I slept with this man, and his penis was making a humming noise. So John Goodman shows up at the bank, and he finds an excuse to, to talk to Gary Shandling in his office. And then uh, he opens his briefcase, and a Playboy falls out. <laughs> And so he's like, oh, I can I can get his penis to hum and, and see if uh if Rebecca the flight attendant was was telling the truth. Pretty sneaky for an FAA agent. I will say for for John Goodman, he's one of my favorite actors, and I love the sense of finesse that he brings to every single role. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's this FAA agent who believes in aliens, if it's the pest control guy in arachnophobia, it's always just just he brings such presence and intelligence and um, dexterity to every role that he's in. So uh, I, I didn't know that he was gonna be in this movie. that was like a, a delightful little surprise to, uh, for me. We also see him as a, as a bit of um, a bit of a reflection of Gary Shanley's character where you know he's so involved with his job that he forgets his anniversary and his wife is gonna leave him and he just can't figure out why she's being, you know, such a such a pain in the butt about him putting zero effort into their relationship.
1: So this movie is nothing but male-female relationships where the woman is, like, temperamental and moody and flighty and yelling at the man, and the man is, like, trying to keep it together one way or another, whether he's being honest or just, dis- like, John Goodman or deceitful distinct- right. like Greg Kinnear. The dynamic is always the same, that you just sort of have to go... Okay, I guess this is the movie's worldview about gender and everything. Which then later, when Gary Shanling is like teaching a class about Earth women when he has been returned after the baby's been stolen, he is basically just reenacting all of his old arguments. Right. um, And like reliving everything for a class of students. But like.
0: There's a hologram simulation of an Earth woman, which is a, a very iconic 50s housewife, and he reprograms. The model to look like Annette Benning,
1: and and it is just Annette Benning yelling at him all the time. Yeah. And it's like so. This is again. This and is he like
0: misses her so much. Yeah, that's
1: the thing. This is the point where he is supposed to already have the turn, and he's like, I've become human. I'm David Bowie and Man who fell to Earth. Like, I also, have he's only
0: gone for two days. Yeah. Like,
1: like it cuts back
0: to Annette Benning, and she and her friends are making flyers, and and they've only been gone for two days, and he's had this this. Long Dark Night of the Soul on his planet in a 48-hour period. And reprogrammed the whole training module. So
1: it's really just absolutely disastrous that this movie tries to go for any emotion whatsoever. If This was just like a really nasty, mean-spirited comedy. Like Michael Nichols, like Catch-22 does not have a warm, fuzzy center. Uh, He made a movie, The Fortune, um, where uh, Jack Nicholson and... uh, I forget the other actor, but they're trying to get... um, Uh, This this young woman to, like, marry her. Like, they're trying to get her across state lines to marry her so they can have her family fortune. And, Mm -hmm. like, it's this, like, really dark, mean-spirited, again, men versus women kind of a comedy. Like, there's versions of this where they don't try to do the Gary Shanling, at the end of the day, like, I want to learn how to be a better human thing. Right. That like, could potentially have worked. It might be off-putting and it might not be the kind of comedy you want to see, but, like, at least it wouldn't feel, like, disastr- disastrously at odds with itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is very much a movie that's trying to be everything, where, um, where, yeah, at, at the end he sort of has this 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 moment of, oh, hu- humans, it's not even women. It Suddenly it becomes about humans, even though... None of none of the human men that he's interacted with have been like this at all, where he's like, oh, humans have emotions, and they get into <laughs> conflicts. But that's what we can learn from them, and those are good things.
1: He's, he's not met a single good man. Like, even Richard Jenkins, who plays his boss, Richard Jenkins, right. who is part of Six Feet Under at this point, mm-hmm. um, Richard Jenkins is, like, cheating on his wife with... Uh, a secretary that's who right. works there who Greg Kinnear is also cheating on his wife as the secretary so again yeah. there's another like who gets
0: no lines she's right. just, she's, there just to a be cur- hot. she's
1: just a curvaceous bimbo like the way that she is presented in this movie and then so like to take it back to the reason for the season Judy Greer um like Judy Greer can bring so much to to anything like she's not given a lot to work with no. in, in Pottersville and there's like moments in that movie where I'm like oh yeah but that's Judy Greer giving you know finding the person in mm-hmm. there and everything like she, that's not her job here and she does not I don't think I don't I think a job an actor can give is often based on what they are given to work with and I just don't think she she does it here because she, her role is just so like just flighty and distant and like
0: that's that's even part of the humor during the sex scene she's lying there stiff as a board and that's sort of where the where the discomfort comes from. right? She says
1: she's bad in bed, but what she's like, literally like has her legs crossed.
0: Yeah. Which there's nothing about the scene that suggests that she's not consenting to it. She seems like she's she's the one who ran to him and
1: and was like, Oh my God, you're an AA. Yeah. So, so that's,
0: that's not, you know, that's not where the discomfort comes from, but it, it does just seem like she genuinely does not know the mechanics of what they're trying to accomplish. Right.
1: It's um. so, it's so bizarre. And it's, and it's, and then like in the end, uh, when John Goodman looks at the flight itinerary mm-hmm. and says, like, you, you said that the, you said that the, uh, the passenger's name was Harold Anderson. There's no Harold Anderson on that flight. It like does a little crash zoom onto her face and she's just like, what? Like she, like it's, uh, it's it's not a role with a lot of dignity. No, and it's and what we, and something we haven't yeah. mentioned yet, um, uh, which is of note, uh, is that it is a it is a role with a lot of nudity. she yes. She is she is nude in this movie. Yes. Um, during the sex scene with Gary Shandling, um, which you know. Uh, I think nowadays, uh, people can look at nude scenes and sometimes feel like uncomfortable, like they, cause they know that there is a power imbalance there. And they know that actor that, you know, women are pressured to be nude on screen and like to help their careers or whatever. And like promised it will lead to things. And it often doesn't. And you can, you can look at scenes where actors are naked and be like, oh my gosh, were they manipulated? What was it like on set? Was it a good close set Were the, you mm-hmm. know, was there a. uh uh, intimacy coordinator all those things can go through your head and i and i couldn't say for sure what uh what it was like on set during that scene in that movie i've never read an interview with her where she talks about it Mm -hmm. but judy greer is an actor who doesn't mind uh nudity she's been nude in other movies and as recently as this year she was in a show called reboot Mm-hmm. On Hulu, where there was, she has a brief topless scene in the pilot, and right. she was the one who suggested it. There was an interview with her where they, oh, were like, really? they were like discussing that scene and different ways they could shoot it, and she was like, "I think it'd be funnier if you actually saw my boobs, because then you, as an audience member, would like feel awkward the way that he does." And like, so she was the one who suggested actually being topless in that scene.
0: Okay, I didn't know that. And there's also a, um, an episode in in the series where um they where there is a sex scene and sort of going over the mechanics of the closed set mm-hmm. and the different devices that the actors use um is is sort of used to generate a lot of the humor so it, yeah. seem, it seems like it, and it seems like that, that's a show that does draw a lot from the actors personal experiences yeah. um but yeah, it, it does. It does seem like at the end of the day, um, you know, despite despite her talents and despite the unique energy that she brings to the film, it was she's a young blonde woman. She's very attractive, and um, mm-hmm. and she's
1: funny. And she is yes. like he is a comedy, and it's a role that requires comedy. Oh, for sure. So it's not that she is totally disrespected uh, on that regard. And it, and and it, um, the one interview I did see with her about this movie is that she had just done a sex scene. Uh, in Three Kings the year before from uh, Mm -hmm. 1999 so she has a sex scene in that movie with George Clooney and so Gary Shanley extremely nervous in general acting in this movie but certainly nervous Mm -hmm. about all the sex scenes and Mm -hmm. not really wanting to do them and just dreading them and she felt like, oh, okay, I'm going to make him comfortable. I'm going to, like, we're going to we're gonna make this, like, fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've done sex before. It's not really a big deal. You know, it's weird or whatever, but we'll get mm-hmm. over it. And he was like, well, who'd you have the sex scene with before? And then she was like, uh, George Clooney. And he's like, <laughs> oh, no. guess <laughs> it's obviously, like, you know, George Clooney, hotter than hot, like, ER doctor. And he and he was, you know, Gary Shanling feeling, uh, you know, lack of confidence about his body or whatever. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I will say... Um, as much as I do look at this movie and be like, ugh, what a waste. Like, I'm so sad that Judy Greer had to be in this movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go as far as to say, like, I feel she was exploited to be in this movie. Right. It does seem like, it does seem like she was on board for everything. And... It,
0: yeah. It is an objectifying role to be sure. But yeah, I, I mean, I mean, based on what you're saying, it, it doesn't seem like it would have been a more problematic set than any other given set at the time. Right. When I sat down to watch this movie, we're recording this in mid-December. So it was, you know, the weekend I had spent the whole day out um, doing holiday shopping. And um, while I was out, I was listening to podcasts, as I want to do. Um, and I've just started listening to this podcast called If Books Could Kill, which is about um, New York Times bestseller airport books that, um, that are nonfiction books that bring forth ideas into... Um, into the, the populace that are the reason that our society is such a dumpster fire and, and sort of does these deep dives <laughs> like into the books. Like Freakonomics
1: and stuff like that? That was
0: their first episode. Yeah. Um, so the one that I listened to was about a book called The Game, which is a look at pickup artist oh, culture. Oh, yes, 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 of course. <laughs> so it, it was interesting Neil getting what's a, his name?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So it was interesting getting a, a one-hour crash course on uh, pickup artistry and then sitting down and watching this movie... Um, Where I don't feel that Gary Shandling's character employs a lot of the techniques um, of a pickup artist, but the mentality is very similar to what was being described, where um, sex is a thing that men want from women, that women have and are keeping from men, and that men have to strategize and manipulate to get this thing that they want from women, not to, not to build relationships with women, but um, for their own sense of inflating their ego and to impress other men. I, I mean, and, and there, there is that sort of turnaround at, at the end of the movie where it's like, oh, we're sorry, they actually love each other. But for, for most of the movie, it is saying, you know, fellas, yeah. you know, this is what sex is. Because it's, I mean, it's Ben Kingsley sending Gary Shandling off to fuck, um, you know, with no interest in who he's fucking, you know, really just, just wanting, you know, the, this one, like, objective that's all about power and conquest. So no, knowing that there was that history, which, of course, led into you know, these other, like, gross misogynist movements just put... And and this movie was made in 2000, so... I'm, I'm not saying that there was a direct connection, but I mean, on I mean, a big you know, kind of cultural another, scale. Another movie Absolutely. that was made
1: in the year 2000 was Magnolia, where mm-hmm. Tom Cruise plays a character based right. on that pickup artist. Right. I don't know if it's literally based on the one who wrote the, the, the game, but mm-hmm. like it, that, that's the that's his character in that. So that was definitely yes. in the culture at the time.
0: Y- yeah, yeah, ju- just this, this sense. Or I guess that was
1: 99, but at any rate, yeah.
0: Yeah yeah but but definitely uh, yeah around that that time it seemed it seemed like this was sort of getting more mm-hmm. more traction with um you, you know in in mainstream american culture
1: Another movie i thought of that is interesting in the uh sort of behind the scenes connections is uh Judd Apatow's 40-year-old virgin Of okay. course Judd Apatow very close friends with Gary Shandling uh, writer on the Larry Sanders show um 40-year-old virgin uh feels like this Story, exact story, slightly reoriented mm-hmm. where this guy has all of his friends trying to tell him all of these like pickup moves right. and they all have different approaches for like, here's how you really got to do it, you know? Right. Um, and, and then at the end he ends up in a relationship where there is the breaks put on sex, the way that Annette Benning puts the brakes on sex when they're in their relationship, mm-hmm. except he's the one who's doing it there and they have this, and it's like, sex is this, sort of thing that is being pursued but what is found instead is like humanity and growth and adulthood in that um and maturity in that sort of uh way that all those jet apatow comedies kind of are
0: yeah i think i think i think that movie's a i haven't seen it in a while but um it does seem to be a, a much better take on um on the sort of the 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 male
1: hero's journey for pussy yeah it's like it's one of those things where it's like there's plenty of that movie that you look at now and you're like mm-hmm. oh that doesn't play anymore but in general it's, at, at in the very mean, least it connected to audiences yeah yeah you know? for sure and, like and, people didn't find steve carell horrifically off-putting
0: right right and, and it does seem to be like really flawed people trying to connect with each other in flawed ways right. where where it's like um where Steve Carell's friends think that they're doing something good for him and they think that they're helping And him. then by the
1: end, they all learn something about themselves, too. Naturally. Like, they all have their own little growth moments and stuff right. like that. I mean, part of it is that it's not a, like... Wacky sci-fi fifties, you know, pastiche. That's and true. It's,
0: yeah, it's very, it's very human and, and relatable.
1: But I do think, like, yeah, that I think Forty Year Old Virgin is a movie that understands how to make that flip in a way that What Planet Are You From has no idea how to do. And, it, and it's also like, What Planet Are You From is directed by someone who's no longer interested in doing anything but getting to rap. <laughs>
0: Um, the movie that, that I thought of and ended up watching, um, after watching this movie was Earth Girls Are Easy. Of course, um, yeah. Um, 1988 movie with, uh, Gina Davis, Davis. not Gina Gershon, Gina Davis. Yeah. Um, I will say one when I mean the other, um, very awkward for, um, for getting dinner parties together. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I'd never seen it, but it, I, I just knew it was another like, uh, corny alien and Earth lady movie. So I sat down and watched it. Um, I thought it was a much more charming version of that sort of general story. Um, and I, I would put a lot of that. I mean, it is, it's a musical. It, it does go full throttle in like eighties surfer culture. Um, you know, it's very colorful. It is, it, it does have a, a more, um, kitschy retro feel to it. Um, but it seems more of th- that it's taking into account, like, a woman's fantasy of what it would be like for, like, a horny alien to come to Earth as opposed to, like, a man's fantasy of being the horny right. alien.
1: Um, and then Earth Girls Are Easy does the thing, like we were talking about, where, like, Earth Girls Are Easy makes no gestures towards, like, having insight into male-female relationship yeah, whatsoever, it's, like,
0: just, it's just a fun sex comedy, um, yeah, the, and th- there's not, there's not even that, like, that, that sense of, of like, oh, there's a plot, and there's, like, manipulation, and there's this objective that you have to achieve...
1: Just a bunch of stuff Yeah, it's,
0: it's just, it's literally just, like, the, these these fuzzy aliens on their ship who... Who see some some TV broadcast from Earth and they're like, wow, Earth women are beautiful. We want to date them and we're lonely, so so they go to Earth and, and that's what they do. They go to a dance club and they, you know they get a makeover and it turns out they're super cute guys, led by super cute Jeff Goldblum. Um, and it, yeah, it's just very charming and it's just about people having a good time and having like like enjoying each other's company and enjoying sex with each other. Even even they have um a more, like aesthetically pleasing version of the vibrating penis where it's like in what planet are you from it's like you know Annette Benning says like oh my god i've had so many orgasms presumably because his of his vibrating she penis. feels
1: like she has been attacked by orgasms. yeah attacked
0: by orgasms <laughs> she,
1: she's got she's got which real is what death- a
0: pickup artist wants to do just like attack you with orgasms yeah, it's, it's, I it's
1: real death by snoo snoo yes in, in that <laughs> like when she gets back from her honeymoon <laughs> it's like there's like scenes where he's like i want to keep going and she's like please i need to catch my breath yeah
0: yeah, um, yeah, but Earth Girls are easy. Um, the aliens have this uh, this this um, touch that they can do, where it's like, it's like there's just like this beautiful rainbow filter over everything, and it's just this very like like psychedelic, and it's just like you feel pleasure for the sake of feeling pleasure, and you just love everything. It's like it's like they have MDMA in their fingertips. Yeah, or I, was, something. I was gonna say um, it's
1: it's sex on ecstasy. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, but the and and the sex scene is. Um, it is like really, really beautiful and in, in this like over the top eighties kind of way where there's like slow motion diamonds being scattered everywhere. Soft
1: focus. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So it's a much more uh, that's like like that's what I want out of my sex comedy. Sure.
1: Um, not like reheated Bellagio fountain like right. innuendo joke,
0: which right.
1: which another another movie that you can draw a point of comparison to and I forget what a uh, contemporary review of this I read that did that I didn't think of before is Austin Powers. Okay. Austin Powers had come out like three years before this mm-hmm. and Austin Powers is about a guy from a different time who starts hitting on everyone that moves because he thinks it's still the swinging 60s oh, and yeah. he has to learn that in the 90s like feminism has happened and that you have to approach women in a different way you have mm-hmm. to think about sex in a different way mm-hmm. and, and all of that and like uh, and all of the things that he thinks are really charming about himself are really off-putting because mm-hmm. he is so dated and out of out of his time that's true but and even with
0: Austin Powers it's not that he's manipulating anyone he is just he's the good time guy he's he there to have a good time and it's like it's like yeah it's like he he is completely out of date and needs to you know, update his, his game a little bit, but at the end of the day, like he's he's not trying to be a creep. Right. Right. Um, he's not trying to prove himself to anyone. He just likes ladies. Yeah. Um I also thought of Third Rock from the Sun. Oh certainly, um, certainly. And and sat down to watch an episode of that uh this afternoon. Um and, and again I think it, it kind of with Earth Girls Are Easy and with Um with Austin Powers, it sort of brings in that same like complete goofiness that isn't really in What Planet Are You From? I mean, there is the joke where it's like, this guy doesn't know what's going on, but it's a sci-fi concept. And there's like, there's one joke in What Planet Are You From? where it does achieve the goofiness that you can with this ridiculous premise, where um, Gary Shandling finally tells Annette Benning that he's an alien and she doesn't believe him. And he says, I can prove it. I can make a really bright light shine out of my nostril. And then he does it. And it was the only time I laughed out loud in this whole ordeal of a movie.
1: I think John Goodman carrying off Ben Kingsley's dead body and saying, whoopee, it's very funny. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. Also, casting Willie Garson. To say, what are they out a pussy on his planet? Because <laughs> he's he's Chuck Goodman's boss, and John Goodman's bosses do not believe that an alien has landed. And John Goodman <laughs> lays out the whole plot and they get Willie Garson of all people to be like, oh, are they run out of pussy on that planet. I thought that was funny too. <laughs> but it's no
0: scene where Gary Shanley is escaping and he's holding the baby and the guards don't know what a baby is, and he's like, The baby might explode. Yeah.
1: Um, so there is like maybe five jokes in this movie. That yeah, were,
0: yeah, but but they're all because it finally gets the level of goofiness that yeah. the premise calls for. Which I, I, most I, the
1: movie does not. And I think at this point, maybe we have come up with so many counterexamples that you get to the other problem of this movie, which is like, none of this is breaking any ground no. whatsoever. No. Like, whatever they thought, like, oh, this would be like a new, interesting way to explore the way that, you know. You know, your endless pursuit of goals gets in the way of being a human being. Like, what, like, no, it's not a new way. It's, this has yeah. all way been done before, mm-hmm. you know, like, Man Who Fell to Earth is in the 70s and all the movies, you know, Earth, Girls Are Easy is from the 80s. And then just recently, like, all the late 90s, you had Third Rock from the Sun mm-hmm. and Men in Black and Austin Powers and all these movies. It's like not only is it not good on its own you are constantly reminded of things that did it much better
0: yeah yeah for sure poor judy greer poor judy greer (laughs) is what we've learned from uh from what planet are you from one of these
1: days we're gonna watch a movie with judy greer in it where the human beings act like human beings i'm gonna be pumped (laughs) because that's not pottersville and that's not (laughs) what planet are you from that's
0: the journey that we are on and when we finally achieve it uh, we'll know that we've earned it and it will have been, um, you know, we will have learned a lot and we'll have grown as people. Yeah. And it'll be a really beautiful episode to to bring to the Internet. Absolutely. Um, but moving on from our general thoughts about what planet are you from? Um, it is now time in our um, still infant podcast, still looking around and and wondering what it's about and what it's going to be, where we pitch a segment to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Patrick, why don't you start off with your segment? Absolutely.
1: As we've mentioned, this is not a great role for Judy Greer. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no question why Judy Greer said, like, oh, Mike Nichols wants me to be in his movie, and I get to act with all these other people. I get to be in a scene with John Goodman. Like, of course she's going to be in it. But she doesn't come across great. And I'm sure everyone who watched the movie, Gary, no one who came out of this movie was particularly happy with how it came out. Um, And I'm sure she was there at the premiere and just thinking like, ugh, this is not my best work. This is, this is not my, this, this did not top Jawbreaker. (laughs) Um, um, But we know, we have the dramatic irony. We know that Judy Greer goes on to do so many things. And she has talked, said in interviews before, like I always feel like I just Book my last job and then I'm, I'm washed up. She, like, one of the reasons she compulsively works is because she's convinced, always convinced that her career is about to end.
0: She's got Christopher Walken syndrome. She's
1: got Christopher Walken syndrome. So, like, I can imagine a really distraught Judy Greer walking out of this movie and going, Oh my God, I'm done. But it's a sci fi movie. Here's a sci fi premise. We come from the future and we show her a clip of something that she does later in her career to brighten her spirits and to say, Look at the heights that you hit, Judy. And this segment is called A Message to You, Judy. (laughs) Also, this movie ends with a Ska version of High Hope. So this fits the (laughs) what planet are you from as well.
0: (laughs) I I was not expecting the special effects. Um,
1: well, that was the big laugh. And what planet are you from? It's the special effects. Exactly. The light that came out of this exactly.
0: Yeah, you 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 know you know how to get me.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> A message to you, Judy. What do we show Judy Greer to make her feel better about the potential career to come?
0: Well, what I would what I would show young Judy Greer I would, I would sit her down and I would pull out my smartphone and she would say what the fuck is that and yeah. I would say shut up Yeah. and then <laughs> shut
1: up time travel is expensive I gotta be back soon <laughs> um,
0: but I do have 22 minutes and I can show her an episode of Archer um, I just finished watching Archer Vice the, the season where they are uh cocaine smugglers. Uh, I I, I never really got into the show, but um, I just started picking through it uh, earlier this year. In What Planet Are You From, you already see the nascent seedlings of future roles that she's going to take where she gets to go off the rails. And I think Archer is such a great example of just letting Judy Greer spin out into her weirdness. In this Uh, season she gets a chip implanted in her head and she becomes a country western singer named Sherlene. she mostly runs around yelling outlaw country for no particular (laughs) reason um I mean this is it's a show where you know everyone is um just like like a like a a child with a large gun and, and there's just like you know, horribly chaotic things going on and, and there's, um, you know, every sort of crazy thing that they can throw at the characters gets thrown at the characters and she gets to be the loosest of the loose cannons, um, which I I think, um, you know, when you have a movie like this, um, you know, where she's just done the sex comedy where it's like, Oh, the guy says something gross to her and she slaps him, but then she goes to bed with him. And it's like, no, not not in this show. She gets to be this disgusting sex goblin and be completely unapologetic and fuck up everyone else's day and run around yelling outlaw country. Um, and it's and it's like, this is what you get to do. Also, it's voice acting, so it is like the most money for the least effort. So I think she would probably um feel some encouragement based on that as well
1: i i was gonna say like also if you showed her this in the year 2000 she would be like holy shit they're allowed to put that on tv yeah. but, <laughs> but it is the it is the era of south park so she might think it's a south park spinoff <laughs> <laughs> the um, animation of archer kind of looks a little bit like south park
0: i would say that the character designs a a, a touch above south park well, okay I'm,
1: I'm not saying yeah, <laughs> the design but anyway um so for me, I know that Judy Greer is not into horror movies and doesn't watch a lot of them. Mm-hmm. However, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil a movie, um, I would show her because I there's so many great achievements in her career that I feel like, like like Arrested Development is sort of where everyone fell in love with Judy Greer. I think all of the all the hip comedy sure. people who saw Arrested Development, like any time it was a Kitty episode, you were like, yes, right. Judy Greer's in this. This is very really good stuff. Um, But, like, showing someone a random episode of Arrested Development would just be baffling. And I don't know if she would really be able to, like, comprehend why she's so beloved from watching one episode of Arrested Development. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to show her instead is the ending of the David Gordon Green film Halloween, Mm -hmm. where she plays Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter, and she gets to kill Michael Myers. (laughs) So, specifically, the way the scene starts is... Jamie Lee Curtis is knocked out somewhere. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, after the events of the first Halloween, has become crazy survivalist she sort of raised her child to be crazy survivalist the way that Sarah Connor raised John Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually that leads to a division where they don't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. And so Judy Greer is trying to have a normal life, but she has in her all of this like survivalist, like how to handle a gun training or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we know all of that going in. Final scene, Michael Myers is stalking her going down to a basement. She's whimpering, she's crying out for her mom, Jamie Lee Curtis, who isn't there. We, she, know, I get to show Judy Greer, you get to work with Jamie Lee Curtis, so that's a big thumbs up. Mm-hmm. She she does basically call an ambulance, but not for me. (laughs) She has a moment where she's like she gets Michael Myers to stand in the right spot. And then she goes, gotcha. And then like pulls out a gun and shoots him and then like locks him in this like bolt action cage. And then the entire house fills with gas and explodes. And she's the one who like tricked him into dying. And like Judy Greer gets to kill Michael Myers. And I think even if you're not into horror movies, you know who Michael Myers is.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. I think I think everyone can just like see the mask and it's iconic. And, and I think
1: I think that arc of her watching herself and seeing herself whimper and being like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, cool, I get to be in a whatever movie where mm-hmm. I get killed by a guy in a mask or whatever. And in that moment, I, I could imagine Judy Greer giving out a squeal of like giggling delight. That that would be that would be hugely inspirational. I think just yeah, just hold
0: on, just 18 more years and look what you get to do. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's true. That's, maybe I maybe I will give her the time. Right.
0: <laughs> For my segment, you know, these days we have we have reboots, we have sequels, we have legacy whatevers. You are writing the sequel mm-hmm. to what planet are you from. Mm-hmm. You get in contact with Judy Greer. How do you pitch the movie to her or what do you write what do you write in the movie to convince Judy Greer to, re- to reprise her role as Rebecca? And this segment is called JG on board.
1: Oh, I like JG on board. Oh, thank you. I, if I, we had a barbershop quartet here, we could sing JG on board.
0: I might have been singing it to myself <laughs> under my breath when I was taking my notes. Who knows? You can't prove anything.
1: <laughs> okay, so this is a movie that ends in a wedding that where everyone is in attendance of the wedding at the end, including right. randomly Greg Kinnear, who they hate each other. Right. So, like, just randomly. Uh, and apparently they, they probably don't work for each other anymore, so I don't know why they invited Greg Kinnear. They, and they, get, they, they get a fight in the office. You know who's not at that wedding? Who? Judy Greer. Judy Greer does not get invited to Gary Shandling's wedding at the end. So there is this feeling of like, eh, her character's not important. She, We have, you know, um, but what it actually means is that Judy Greer has not been let into the inner circle that he's an alien because their vows at the end of that of what planet are you from sort of like the jig is up all the aliens are on the one side of the aisle right like they're sort of more honest and open like hey aliens are here we're them Um, but Judy Greer doesn't know that yet so she has not been let in yet but she is a flight attendant and the way that aliens come down from their planet to earth is by totally disrupting flights and causing crazy turbulence that makes everyone fly in the air and bright flashes of light and everything. Mm-hmm. So she, in the sequel, she has now been in, in broiled in years and years of being just absolutely hassled by these mysterious bouts of turbulence. And it's starting to get to the point where she's piecing stuff together because she had that conversation with John Goodman. And who is the guy that together they're on the that her who is her um, agent Mulder to her Scully? And they're they're piecing together this alien conspiracy. Oh. The pl- the pilot that she's that she's cheating on uh that who, that who's cheating on his wife with her. Oh. Now we know that his hub is in Dallas. She said that's our hub, which is a, a line that did make me laugh. I think that's very a very <laughs> funny thing. Uh, for a flight attendant to be like, that's our hub. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's our song or whatever. Um, so I looked up a list of actors from Texas who can play the pilot. Because you want, like, a big name to show up and be like, I think oh, I, I, think the I pilot. see where
0: this is going. I so. don't
1: think you do, oh. because Forrest Whitaker is the pilot. Oh. And it's it's just like, you just see the, the back of the head, and you see the little hat on him, and then he, and it's like, he lands, and then he turns around, and he's like, Another successful flight, and she's like, That's right, successful, because they built a little cage in the bathroom and they captured an alien. <laughs> They're the antagonists. She gets redemption because she gets to go full-blown, what about Debbie, uh, Joan Cusack, and Adam's family values, like, kooky fun. Okay. All right. So, like, we don't break the character from before. She's still, like, weird and kooky or whatever. But in this case, she's like, I want in. I want all your alien secrets. She's, like, trying to extort the aliens. She has, um, you know, it's this is the sequel – that's coming out still, still during the height of alien mania. This is around the same time as men in black too. So, mm-hmm. so there's all sorts of tabloids and stuff who want to know all of Gary Shandling's secrets, Gary Shandling, very private person. He mm-hmm. doesn't want all these, this attention or whatever. So it is the, the sequel to what planet are you from is Judy Greer and Forrest Whitaker leading this like UFO cult. Um, and they have a captured alien and they and gary shandling and like annette benning need to like solve it with their sort of enlightened humanity or whatever i don't know the less you have them on screen the better as far as i'm concerned when
0: you were building up to texas i was thinking you were going to say Matthew mcconaughey i i, I thought you were going to reunite them uh
1: judy greer and matthew McConaughey? wedding
0: planner wedding planner which we will get to i have not seen Wedding um, planner yet Oh, you will, you will. Um, but, but when you were building in Texas, I thought that's who you were going for. But yeah. Forrest Whitaker, I wanted I, to
1: keep digging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: Forrest Whitaker, Judy Creer, That would be. That's a duel. I would go see. I would go see that. On they opening both night.
1: have such unusual energy. Yes. Forrest Whitaker always sets everyone off kilter in every scene he's in. Every like everything just sort of hinges around his energy, and I think the two of them together could be dynamite.
0: Oh yeah absolutely and and I, I love the idea of the two of them as the antagonists um, trying to, to, to try trying to, to to mix things up in, in this in this horrible gender binaryist uh, world that's been created in, in this in this movie universe my, uh, my thought was that this would be a legacy style sequel that would come out 20 years ah. after the original movie and my thought was well the original is a sex comedy. Follow it up with another sex comedy. You know what we've we've had a few successful ones of lately? Teen and college sex comedies. You got mm. you got your book smarts, mm. you got your neighbors's, you got your pitches Perfects. Yes. Um so why not uh, what planet are you from too at university where um you know what what planet are you from you? Yeah. Yeah, what planet are you from? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> and uh and it's it's 20 years later and um this is uh annette benning and gary shandling's child uh he is he's at college um and you know as you referenced um the movie ends with them renewing their vows and the groom's section of their nice white wedding is full of uh his alien brethren with their own vibrating penises what a gross gross scene um, <laughs> I don't mean to be so sex negative, but it just, it really, it really gets to you after. Um, uh, am I am I right, friends? Vibration after an hour gets to be a bit much? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs>
1: Make sure to mark that explicit tag on the podcast. Look, there
0: was, there was no way that this was going to, that we were going to get into this movie without it be, having, having an explicit tag. So you know this is the setup of a bold new era where you know alien life has has been contacted they can come to earth you know as you said in your movie um, so so my thought is that it's a it's a peaceful merger of the two cultures but it's still in its you know infancy um, only 20 years into um, humans and We we don't even get the name of the aliens. I don't think, like, like we don't even get told what their planet is called or how they refer to themselves. No.
1: Um, Also, they're clones who don't look alike.
0: Yeah, and they're (laughs) they're clones that don't look alike. Um, So, so, so the humans and the aliens, um, you know, um, you know, in in contact with each other, still learning the ins and outs of all of this. So, my thought is that um, that their kid, he's in college. He uh, He's studying the psychology of human-alien relations, and he wants to go on to graduate studies, and this is his dream. But first he has to finish his senior thesis, and his thesis advisor, once Rebecca the flight attendant, is now Rebecca PhD. She, she has her oh. stuff together, this whole experience with with, you know, getting sober and her experience with an extramarital affair, you know, um, she's realized her own interest in human behavior. She's gotten her PhD in psychology, and now she is a, a respected family therapist. So I think that would appeal to, you know, you know, sort of the sense of, you know, this character is more than like, oh, the crazy chick from the one night stand. It's like, it's like, no, she was at that point in her life. When the first movie came out, that is not the sum total of who she is. You know, she grew as a person, she matured, there's more to her story. I like And it. also there's like, I don't know, college sex hijinks.
1: What frat are you from?
0: <laughs> there you go. were oh, <laughs> just pitching titles all yeah. day. Yeah. And yeah. I'm gonna sit down with, with Judy Grit and be like, What what planet are you from? You don't know, like that? What frat are you from? And then just, just go down, boom, yeah, boom. Yeah. She gets to title it. That's the other thing. That's right. the other, that's the that's the sugar on top of this delicious sequel cake yeah she gets to choose the
1: title all right and now with that second gap you can edit out this suggestion mars needs panties (laughs) (laughs) or keep it in (laughs) um
0: so so moving on from our dreams of of being successful sequel screenwriters um Mm -hmm. we come to our final segment of the podcast our MO for having this podcast and that is Judilization where we rank the titles that we have watched based on how well um, the movie in question makes use of Judy Greer's many talents Um, the current list has one title on it that's Pottersville the Alpha and Omega of Judilization best Um, and worst but uh, that, that singularity ends today so we have to figure out Uh, Does what planet are you from exceed or fall short of Pottersville in terms of judilization?
1: It falls short. This does not use Judy Greer as well. Judy Greer is kind of the only big name not having fun in Pottersville, but it is a movie that still needs heart and she does bring it to that and she gets to be like a real person in a context where a real person makes sense. In this, she isn't even particularly fun as, like, a flighty flight attendant. Um, so I'm going to say that Pottersville has better utilization.
0: I'm going to say that What Planet Are You From has better utilization than Pottersville. Um, I, I mean, I, I will agree with you. These are This is a thankless role, as is the role in Pottersville. Um, but I, I think that her getting to have some fun um, does speak to, um, the highlights of her career, uh, more than her role in Pottersville. Um, you know, she, she gets to be, uh, strange. You do see that bit of, of her sort of like spinning out into, um, her own universe that no one else seems to inhabit. Um, you know, she makes, she makes the most of, of a nude scene. Um, you know, she manages to be, um, Sort of strange and memorable in in a movie where a lot of the the women are just, you know, attractive set dressing. Uh, So I I think that even though it is similarly a thankless role, um, I think that What Planet Are You From um,
1: should be ranked above Pottersville. Speaking of set dressing, in her bedroom, she has a giant neon crescent moon above her bed. And I I think that's dope as hell. So I, it's, a, it's so like a funny cool. little nod because it's like, oh, he's an alien, like trying to have sex with her, and there's like a celestial body like above her body. Um, but like also that was just like man, yeah, a dope giant neon sign in her bedroom. She's a swinging uh, flight attendant. you don't
0: you don't get to see what what Parker's sense of uh, of of decor is like. you you don't even know exactly what she sells
1: she she strikes me as pr- fairly cottage core. Oh, yeah, if yeah, I had to guess. yeah, she
0: probably has like like uh, you know, ruffled curtains and things.
1: Um, so we would have discussed beforehand, uh, since there's only two of us, the tiebreaker has to be a coin flip. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, we have big Niles and Fraser Crane energy, so will this be a successful flip of a coin? <laughs> Are we athletic enough to flip a coin and not have it go flying behind the refrigerator? Let's <laughs> only find Only out.
0: time will tell. Okay, uh, heads.
1: It is heads. All right. All right, what so- planet are you from? Goes above Pottersville. Pottersville now has the least Judilization of all Judy Greer's films.
0: And what planet are you from is number one with a bullet. So with the Judilization segment under our belt, it is time for us to um, wish you all a good night. Uh, and thank you so much for listening to our thoughts about What Planet Are You From and Judy Greer. The next episode, uh, we will be watching uh, the 2020 horror comedy Good Boy. Um, that'll be coming out in January. Uh, a lead
1: performance from Judy Greer. Yes,
0: yes, she is the protagonist of, of Good Boy, so that'll be really exciting to 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 dig into. After that, we have the 2011 Oscar-nominated film The Descendants, um, and then for our fifth episode, um, the iconic rom-com The Wedding Planner.
1: Wonderful, that's a good lineup. That's a good diverse lineup right there.
0: Yeah, we've got we've got a lot to look forward to. It's, it's movies you've heard of, probably. Yes. Maybe. Some of them. They won't be painful
1: to watch along.
0: Maybe you've heard of all of them. I mean, you are listening to a movie podcast. True. So until next time, we're wishing you a happy 2023. um, And we look forward to to meeting up with you to discuss Good Boy. Thanks for listening. I'm Reg.
1: And I'm Patrick. And And say say goodbye goodbye to to these. these.